This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love. Amen. I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And just want to thank our, our band. They do such an incredible job week after week in digging into the, the, the text kind of weeks beforehand and um, just finding songs that, that bring out the, the richness of the text that we're going to be studying in such, a, in such a beautiful way so that, you know, even before we open the, the scripture and dig into it, we've, we've already sung, we've already sung so many of the rich truths and had our hearts really kind of prepared for, for what we're going to what we're going to study. So Isaiah 55 is an incredible invitation. It's what we've been singing about. It's an invitation for us to, to come to the Lord if you're thirsty. Let's look at it together. Isaiah 55, we're going to cover the whole chapter this morning. God says, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water And you without silver, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of David. Since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the people. So you will summon a nation you do not know and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up. Instead of the briar, a myrtle will come up. This will stand as a monument for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. And so, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the incredible invitation that you extend to us here. 
and it can be extended because of the work of your son. And so we thank you for Jesus and we pray that your spirit now would just open the eyes of our hearts that we would see who you are and that you would encounter us now in your supernatural power and equip us to go forth from here on mission for you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Well, when our son Caleb was, was playing kids sports, I, I quickly became aware that a lot of things had changed from the time when I was playing kids sports. And one of them was the availability of water at practice. In fact, not only was water available, but the coaches were constantly saying, hydrate yourselves, you know, drink, drink lots of water. Well, let me tell you, that was not the message <laughs> that I had gotten in, in kids sports. We would be out there just, you know, sweating like crazy in the heat and there was no water available until after practice because the thinking at the time and what our coaches would tell us was, don't drink water, you'll get a cramp, you know, or water is for sissies, no water until after practice. You know, it's, it's a wonder like we didn't collapse from, you know, heat stroke all the time. Um, I, I can remember like at the end of a cross country race, heat, I mean like intense heat and just maxing it out at the end of that race and being just so depleted. And they had like a table full of, 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 of cups and there was ice there and there was liquid in there. And I can just remember like being so depleted after this race and going over to the table and picking up a cup. You know what it was? Sprite. <laughs> and I can... I can still like taste like the sticky syrupy, you know, in my mouth. And I was so thirsty and I was just like craving pure cold water. Well, Isaiah 55 begins with this incredible grace filled invitation to the thirsty. So that's where we begin here with an invitation the invitation, and we see that in verse one. Let's check it out. God says, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Now, what kind of a merchant does this? Sells his wares without cost. Well, what if someone else has already paid the price? See, that's what we've seen the last two weeks at the end of chapter 52 and through all of chapter 53, that the price has been paid, that Jesus paid it all, that, that, that Jesus was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our iniquities so that by his wounds we can be healed and so that this incredible invitation can be extended to us at the beginning of chapter 55. And so now what God is saying here at the beginning of chapter 55 is he's saying the grace won for you by the suffering servant is readily available. 
The bill has already been paid. Just come, just come. Now in Isaiah, the image of water is associated with the Holy Spirit. God says, come to the water. In, in chapter 44 and verse three, he says, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. So the spirit is associated with, with water in Isaiah and Jesus picks up on this in John seven and in verses 37 and following, it says on the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the spirit. Now the context of John 7 is the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And, and that feast culminated with a, with a procession and people would gather around the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. And the, and the priest would take a, a, a golden container, a golden pitcher, dip it down into the pool of Siloam, and then there would be this procession that would go from the pool of Siloam into the temple. And as they proceeded into the temple, I mean, trumpets are blaring, people are singing, and then the priest would pour out this, this pitcher of water before the Lord. And it is at that moment that Jesus stands up and shouts, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. But what do you need to come? Thirst. You need to be thirsty. If you think that you've got it all together, this invitation is not for you. This invitation is not for the proud. It is not for the self-righteous. It is not for the self-sufficient, the self-reliant. It is for people who know they are hopeless and helpless without God. They are hungry and they are thirsty for him. Let's look at the beginning of verse two. God says, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? You know, God says, you know, you've been running around trying to find love in all the wrong places. You've been running around trying to find satisfaction in things that will never satisfy. They will only leave you empty in the end. In the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a conversation that goes like this, getting is better than having. <laughs> when you get something, it's new and exciting. When you have something, you take it for granted and it's boring. But everything you get turns into something you have. <laughs> 
the things of this world, whether it's money or sex or power or position or acclaim or whatever, none of that ultimately is going to satisfy. You know why? Because you were made by God and for God. Ray Ortland says this, our world is a vast marketplace of unsatisfying but costly remedies for our God-shaped longings. Look at the end of verse two and the beginning of verse three. God says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. He's the bread of life. He's the living waters. But it is not enough to know that intellectually. You've got to quit fumbling around and come. You've got to smash your idols. You've got to like turn from trying to find satisfaction and stuff that will never satisfy and come. Come to the Lord. The second thing that we see here is covenant. Covenant. Look at the latter part of verse 3. God says, I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of David. See, God had made a covenant with King David, the Davidic covenant. And we see it in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16. God said to David, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. But see, now Isaiah is writing to exiles in, in Babylon who were thinking that God had forgotten his covenant because they had made a train wreck of things. They had failed, they had been judged, they had been sent into exile. And so Isaiah is writing to people who were tempted to think, you know, God has forgotten us. He's, he's, for, he's forgotten the covenant with, with David because we blew it. We've blown it to smithereens. But just because we fail doesn't mean that God fails. And see, God had factored human failure into the covenant that he made with David. When God made the covenant with David, God knew they were going to fail. He knew what was going to happen. God knew that they were going to turn away from him and they, they were going to sin and they were going to suffer the consequences of that and they were going to be judged and they were going to be sent into exile in Babylon. God knew all of that was going to happen. But he also knew he was going to be faithful to his covenant because he knew that he was going to raise up one of David's descendants who would be born of the house and lineage of David in Bethlehem, the city of David. But Jesus would not only be a son of David, he would be the son of God. It was great to see that baptism a few minutes ago. I think about the baptism of Jesus because you have this incredible, incredible picture of the Trinity, right? At the baptism of Jesus. So the son is being baptized. 
the, as he's raised up out of the water, the spirit descends upon him like a dove and then the voice of the father comes from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But see, here's what we need to understand. If you are in Christ, if you are in the Son, you are united to the Son by faith, God's covenant love for his Son is guaranteed to you. He speaks those words over you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. Why? Because you are united to Christ. You are in Christ. You are in the son. And so God's covenant love for his son is a guarantee of his covenant love for you and that he will not abandon you. And so we see the covenant here. Third, action. Action. God has given his son for us. He has taken action. And now he he calls upon us to take some actions. And we see them in verses six and seven. God says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. This is the action that God is calling upon us to take. Repent. Turn to me. Return to me. Seek my face. See, God knew that, and remember, Isaiah's writing here to these exiles in Babylon, but God knew that their ultimate problem was not bondage in Babylon. And the ultimate solution was not returning to Israel. Because what if they return to the land without returning to the Lord? It would be meaningless. No, their ultimate problem and our ultimate problem is a different kind of bondage. It's it's, it's bondage to sin. Some of you have been far off Isaiah's writing here to exiles in, in, in Babylon, far away from their home country, but it could be that you have been in a far country. Your heart has been far from God. You have drifted far from him. And God is saying to you, come home. Come home. Seek my face. Repent. Return to me. And a lot of times we think that we've made too much of a mess of things. That's what the exiles thought. You know, they thought, we, we, have, we have blown this to such an extent that God has forgotten us. And we can be tempted to think that way. 
that our sins are too deep. We've made too much of a mess of things. We have torched everything. God says, come home. Come home from the far country. Remember the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 15? The, the son who's living far away from his father, he decides to return and he already has a speech made up before he gets home, right? Just take me in as a hired hand. I'm not even, not even worthy to be called your son. But what does the father do? The father, when he recognizes his son walking down the road, he runs out of the house to grab him and to embrace him. That's his heart. You begin taking steps toward him. He's running out to take you into his arms. I love what Dane Ortland says in his great book, Gentle and Lily. God's heart of compassion confounds our intuition about how he will respond to us if we will but dump in his lap the ruin and wreckage of our lives. He will not tepidly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. He does not merely accept us. He sweeps us into his arms again. The fourth thing that we see here is assurance. Assurance. So look at verses eight and nine. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now almost always when we hear this scripture quoted, we, we hear it quoted um, as if it's talking about God's mysterious providence. Something happens that we don't understand. And so, you know, we, we go to the scripture. You know what? God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's good theology. That's, that's theologically sound. There's nothing wrong with that. However, in its original context, that's not really the thrust here. Of, of the point that Isaiah is making. What he's saying here, he's, he's, he's speaking here to these exiles who thought God could never forgive us, right? God has forgotten us. We, he is, we, we've done this to ourselves and God is finished with us. And the point that Isaiah is making is that he is so much more gracious than you imagine him to be. Calvin said, there is nothing that troubles us more than we, when we think that God is like ourselves. <laughs> no, he is not like us. He is so much more perfect in his love. He is, he is so much more gracious he is so much more compassionate, so much more merciful, so much more forgiving than we are. And so much more reliable than we are. So much more dependable than we are. That's what verses 10 and 11 are about. God says, for just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. Again, these people are thinking, you know what? We've blown it so badly that God has forgotten us. 
He's, he's, he's left us in Babylon to rot. But, but no, God says, I remember every one of my promises. Your failure is not my failure. You may fail, but I don't. My promises are gonna be fulfilled. It's, it's really interesting, you know, he, he, he uses... He uses these images of precipitation, of, 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 of rain, of snow. And you see, God, God had put his people in the promised land, which is a place, Israel is a place where they are very rain dependent, snow dependent. Um, in, in Egypt, there's the Nile. The Nile River is like this majestic river the same thing in Babylon, the Tigris and, and Euphrates. I mean, these are you know, massive, and they're like, these huge rivers are like a safety net for, for things like drought. But, but in Israel, the very place where God had put his people, uh, there's the Jordan, but the Jordan's not, <laughs> it's not gonna provide the water that they need. They have the Sea of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee, they depend on rain to fill it. They depend on snow from Mount Hermon to melt and flow down into it. And it only rains for just a, just a brief period of time, a brief period of months for just a little part of the year. And if, they, if they're going to get any rain, that's when they get it. Not getting rain in the other months. And it's remarkable, isn't it? You know, that, that, that God, God put his people in a land where they would have to, year after year, they would have to depend on him. But that's the point. <laughs> you can depend on him. You can depend on him. And his word is trustworthy. It's not going to return to him empty. Look at verses 12 and 13. God says, you will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and the hills will break into singing before you and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn brush, a, a cypress will come up. Instead of the briar, a myrtle will, will come up. So this is a sneak peek of chapters 56 through 66, which we'll, we'll look at after Easter. Because what we see in these final chapters of Isaiah is we see God makes everything new. We're gonna see the new heaven and earth. We're gonna, we're gonna see that, that, that God, and we see, we, we, we're getting a glimpse of it here in verses 12 and 13, right? It's the whole creation being renewed, right? That's the, that's the imagery here. Um, mountains and, and hills breaking into singing. Trees of the field clapping their, their, their hands instead of thorns, a, a cypress, instead of briars, a, a myrtle. Like the picture here is of the whole creation being made new. Yeah, that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 8.21 when he says that when Christ comes again, the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. 
It's what he's talking about in Ephesians 1.10 when he says that God is going to bring everything together in Christ. Everything broken in this world is going to be made whole. Everything sad in this world is going to come untrue. And if you're in Christ, you're going to be there. You're going to be there forever in a glorified and perishable body. So what should knowing that future, how should knowing that, that glorious future that is ours in Christ how should that make us live differently in the present? I love what Christian apologist and philosopher Peter Crift says about this. Says, suppose death and hell were utterly defeated. Suppose God took you on a crystal ball trip into your future and you saw that despite everything, your sin, your smallness, your stupidity, you could have for free for the asking your whole crazy heart's deepest desire, heaven, eternal joy. Would you not return fearless and singing? What can earth do to you if you are guaranteed heaven? To fear the worst earthly loss would be like a millionaire fearing the loss of a penny. And so this is why we can be assured, right? This is where our, our peace should, should, should come from. This is where courage and boldness in the things of the Lord should come from. This is where generosity should come from because we don't have to like hold on to things here because we've already been given an inheritance that includes everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the incredible promises that are ours in the gospel. Lord, we thank you for for loving sinners like us. Lord, we deserve nothing but condemnation. But Lord, we thank you that in your love you gave your son and that Jesus took in our place the condemnation that we deserve. And that he has been raised from the dead, that, 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 that sin and death and hell have been defeated by our risen Savior and that he is returning to make all things new. And Lord, knowing knowing that future that is ours in Christ, Lord, we pray that you would change us now. Lord, make us, make us people who are bold for your glory. Make us bold witnesses for, for you. Lord, may we have a sense of assurance and joy and peace just knowing um, that we are secure in, in Christ, Lord. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. 
right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.